You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you insurgency me up, man. in their lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Start spreading the news. You're leaving today. I want to be a part of it. Uh, New York, New York, hey, nobody join in at all. Why didn't you join in? I didn't want to ruin the moment. It was like watching one of those ultra bloody scenes from Kill Bill where it's just a <laughs> massacre from right to left across the entire what? panorama. What? Are, I wouldn't what go kind? into that one. Without, that, yeah, that's what? deep. That was disgusting. Bill, <laughs> we should watch that after this. So awesome. So great. I'm thinking ah! you, I think you need an introduction to audition to work for the, the New York City uh, Tourism Board, though. Oh, my God. I that'd can only be imagine epic. the effect that you bro, have. Bro, I've got deep, intimate knowledge in New York City, man. When I went to 18 Delta back that? in the day... <laughs> turd when i went to 18 delta back in when it first started up they were going to new york city we'd go up there for a month to do our our get all our uh, patient contacts right and so we go up and we're, we're living in the south bronx and uh no brooklyn we were in brooklyn and i remember my first night on the job we went out and i had a, a dude ended up diff breathing and full and full cardiac show up in this teeny little apartment in South Bronx and man that like dude died on me and and that was but it was just this overwhelming experience of firefighters and cops and and that was my introduction to New York man was was that intensity and every night whether you know we'd work in the ERs and every major hospital I remember Kings was insane we worked uh, on or on the ambulances for twelve hours in all the boroughs. It was just there's nothing like that city in anywhere I've been around mm. the world. What do you think, Marcus? I, yeah, I went to Florida for eighteen Delta, so I, but half our crew went up there. So I'd never been there, never been able a chance to visit or anything like that. Not even after nine eleven. Really? I, yeah, no. I I went up there my first time to uh, oh for the book. Yeah. I had to go. I got a chance to go to all the publishing houses in New York City. Wow, to, that's to see cool. That part. It was, it was, it was, it was a great adventure. Me and Patrick. I was in uniform too. I was in my oh, yeah. Mm, so it, right. it, it was first time in New York. I wore my sailor uniform. I was in the blues. Right. Right. And even if it was summertime, I was like, I'm wearing the damn blues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big old fat trident <laughs> out there. Oh, dude. Yeah. And um. It's great. It truly is. You know, when you pop, popping around there in uniform, man, they everyone goes out of their way. So my my first time there was uh, was great. 
I bet. And it, it was kind of quick because it was all business. But then afterwards, when I went back up there for the first time, was to uh, for the release of the book. Yeah. When I had to do all the media. I didn't even own a suit, really. The only suit I had was the one from 5'11". <laughs> the one with the inside pockets, yeah, carry yeah, yeah. piece in your mag. I my five eleven bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's awesome, man. I was there for a while. I didn't know anybody or anything like that. So I just I went on a walkabout, man. I walked around that whole city. That's cool. To see everything I could find, mm. and I mean, I slowly my first interaction. I remember with, with I was walk trying to was Waldorf Astoria, it's a big hotel. You yeah, see, coming to America, yeah, and stuff like that. So I was open. It was, Opening the door for this lady. She obviously lived there. I didn't know that was a thing. I yeah. didn't know you live in a hotel. This is before Paris Hilton came out and everyone was famous. Right. You know, you always hear New Yorkers can be a little bit... A uh, little rough. A little short. A little rough. Yeah, yeah. Was I was like, ma'am, she's like, are you going to go in? Are you going to stand there and hold the door all day? I was like, oh, I was holding the door for you, ma'am. She's like, well, I can get my own door. I was like, okay. Welcome to New York. <laughs> Welcome to New York. I just want to put it out right now while we do that. You need to be the first one to walk in with your hands free so everybody in the room can see what just walked in. You know, that's kind of how I was raised. Right. But right. Uh, I walked down the road to get a tile into this uh, shop right across down the street. And I walked past the... Um, the Mythbusters guy. Yeah, yeah. And I walked into to get this tie, and I'm looking at some of them, and all of them are $500 for, you know, this before you. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> I usually get my ties issued. <laughs> and uh, Mike, Tyson, Mike Tyson walks in. Right. That's the first time I met him. Yeah. And uh, then when my speaking house picked me up, it's in New York. So, I mean, the people who watch out for me now are in New York. And the firehouses, when I'd go up there, I'd leave the hotel and just bump from house to house to house. I mean, from the hot dog vendors to going to Broadway to Christmas time, we go up there and see the Rockettes. Yeah. It's the most amazing thing in the world. I didn't think it would be like that, but, I, man, they got me hooked. You know? Yeah. And, uh, well, those firehouses, man, That's that for me was the uh, best. Those dudes are walking so into a awesome, military platoon space, literally, and they're so cool. They're so generous. They're they're such patriots, man. Right. Everybody they really thinks are. that you, there's the military job description, the uniforms, the police, the firefighters, and then there's a there's a gap, and then you have the military. Like we're just complete. It's not, there's a tether, and it's the fire department and the police. That, that's the, our tether, right? We're for sure in the in the line of succession, the connected. That's ours. So that's why when you walk in there, you could either be in a military. It looks like military or fire. They got the flags, uh, right. all Especially that, man. The unit. Our war. And I, they, we got hit here. Yep. And, our, and so they were fighting. And I mean, it's the most unbelievable thing. From Central Park to McSorley, I go all day. FAO Schwartz for a shutdown. <laughs> I mean, uh, the London Hotel. Yeah. Just everything that pops into my head over and over again because they, it is great up there, man. Yeah. Those people are fantastic and they breed a special type of firefighter. I have Two of the guys in my crew are firefighters, and they talk about it. And I'm like, the New York City boys, the Yankees, man, they go up and my stupid. You know? <laughs> and when they talk about the firefighters down yeah, here, yeah. the way they do it, it's like, man, you guys are crazy. Yeah. So, hell yeah. Mutual it, respect. Sure, man, yeah. it is. That's awesome. And, and and it's so appropriate. And and the reason why we're talking about this and and is, you know, our guests who, by the way, is is our the, the a listener write-in story. His son wrote us this incredible story about one of the worst days in New York City or New York uh, Fire Department called Black Sunday uh, about this man, Jeff Cool, and we've got him on the show. So this will be, Wizard, our third listener write-in Number story three. guest. 
We had Katie Ulander, Olympian. Brogan. We, we had Brogan Wall with uh, uh, the trigeminal neuralgia, right? Yep. We And now Jeff Cool. So, man, if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. Welcome aboard. If you're back for more, then God bless you. We love you. And, and when we talk on the air that after we read those stories and we say, hey, we want you to go to our website at tnqpodcast.com and tell us right in, just, you know, share with us your greatest never quit story or that of your fathers or your mothers or whomever's. And if they rock, man, we're going to read them. And if they're awesome, coming on and guess what? Coming on. <laughs> and we've got one on. So please, check. if you want to know more about those stories, we have pages and pages of them at our website. Just visit tnqpodcast.com, reader stories or listener stories, and you can check it out. We also have cool uh, swag on there. We've got merchandise, Team Never Quit, uh, shirt, podcast shirts and hats and gears in and all that merchandise. Uh, and also, I want you guys to know you can follow us all. You can follow the show at TNQ Podcast. You can follow Marcus at Marcus Luttrell, me at Team Frog Logic, and Mar- and the Wizard over there at the Wizard TNQ. All right, Wizard, give us a little bio on this epic listener guest. Yeah, came across this one. It really stood out. Um, his son Jeff Cool Jr. wrote in about his dad. I mean, it was evident that he really holds his dad in high regard, and rightfully so. 16 years as a professional firefighter for the New York Fire Department, working with Bronx Rescue 3 and Ladder 9. Also, he was active duty with the U.S. Air Force between 85 and 88, and did 20 years in the New York Air National Guard as well. Wow. The big story here is the Black Sunday Fire, as it's come to be known, which on January 23rd of 2005, it was a tenement fire in the Bronx. Um, According to one firefighter, he said it was a freight train of a fire. It was also at the same time that they were having some severe weather. I mean, this is the middle of winter in New York. uh, Very low temperatures, which also had a complication. In addition to that, the building had been illegally subdivided and turned into a maze. The Black Sunday Fire was actually the worst fire um, in New York Fire Department history since 9-11, or the deadliest day. Wow. What I'm going to say about this, and we're going to let him tell the story because um, obviously I think it's going to be far more interesting. Several firefighters died in this. There were some serious injuries. Uh, Jeff himself was severely injured, had to recover from that, uh, pulled through it with a close friend of his and fellow firefighter, Bernardo. So we're going to let him tell the story, but... Since he probably won't bring this up, I'm just going to brag on him here a little bit. I mean, he was awarded the Emily Trevor Mary B. Warren Medal in 2005 from the uh, from the FDNY. Firehouse Magazine gave him the Hero Award of 2004. He re- he's received two unit citations when he was with Ladder 19. He's received a lot of awards. This is a pretty riveting story. I think everyone is going to obviously be excited by that, but also the lessons learned in his recovery um, the reason why he went on to help found the Joey DiBernardo Memorial Foundation as well. Very excited to have him on with us. Yeah. Dude, what do you say, Marcus? The wizard? Yeah, All right, here we go. Start spreading the news. Marcus, man, I'll tell you what, dude. 
The guys that we run into combat with, they're hard chargers. I'll give you that every day of the weekend, twice on Tuesdays. But there's one profession out there. There's one group of mugs, and in particular, guys from the New York City Fire Department that have a whole nother standard of hard charging because they're not they're running into fire brother and and i'll tell you what i mean fire fire, like legit fire and so that in and of itself elevates the bar of what they're able to do how they're able to do it and the commitment they have to the people they're going to save the fires they're fighting but most importantly to each other brother Uh, my favorite picture a poster was drawn after 9-11 i saw i've seen it on a coin as well it's when the towers are burning and coming down the firefighters handing the flag over to the soldier and like we'll take it from here yeah i mean it is it's that last line i mean the forever uniform a lot of the guys get out and it's it's not a we have to find something to do coming out of our crazy ass life man And, and a lot of the guys boom right there stepping over into that line trying to uh fill that that void that is created when we leave and a lot of guys can find that in what they do. So man, every <laughs> run into a fire, dude, that's just crazy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> had the barn burned down the other, a little while back. I, I didn't call myself. I didn't call my seal buddies. <laughs> you I called the fire department. That's a whole Trust next me, level. Something to those guys. And it's awesome. Well, we got one of the baddest guys that's ever put wore the uniform on the show today. And what I love about this one, this is a listener right in story. So, gentlemen, without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Mr. Jeff Cool. Jeff, how are you, man? Doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Proud and honored. Well, I, I mean, you know, it, when when your son wrote in, to that listener story, man, and the wizard caught it. He sent it to me, sent it to Marcus, man. We took one look at that, and we were like, that's the guy Absolutely. that's got to come on the show for sure. Mm-hmm. So we're honored to have you just as much, sir. Thank you. All right. Now, before we can dive into the, the nuts and bolts of this thing, We've got to get warmed up. We've got to light Torture the... Torture and torment you. We've got to... <laughs> wait, why do you say that, dude? It's not that bad, dude. This oh, yeah, is the fun part. It's a secret until right? it starts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My bad. So we've got to <laughs> light the fire in your prefrontal cortex and get you burning hot so when we're ready for the big stuff. So, Jeff, without further ado, are you ready for the mad minute? Let's go. All right, Marcus, fire away. All right, favorite superhero... Superman. Nice. I'm I'm loving our recent Man. guests. Uh, We've had two in a row with Superman, uh, baby. We just interviewed Travis Mills, Jeff, and he said the same thing. So you're uh, in good company. The two hardest we've ever interviewed, too. Right? This is the guy that says, watch, watch this turn out like that. Totally. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> All right. What is the, uh, in your opinion, what's the best dive bar in New York? Oh. Oh, McSorley's Ale House. Oh, yes. Boom. Boom. Down the middle. I was just God, at. I've been carried out of there. That place is so great. I, I was just, I was at McSurley's last year for the last Red Sox Yankees uh, series. Uh, the My buddy who's the head of national scouting for the Sox, he goes, 
have you ever been to the oldest bar in New York? And I was like, nope. And he goes, then we're going. And that was one of the best places I've ever had a beer in my life, man. Just awesome. Oh, yeah. Not just one beer, two beers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, you know, for uh, sure. <laughs> hell, I was at eight. Yeah. <laughs> That's another story. All right. All right. If if you could tell us your top thing that you got in your bucket list, what was what is that one thing? Uh, well, uh, so uh, uh, something I just reached in my bucket list that I never thought I'd do is jump out of an airplane, and I just did that in uh, Dallas last year. Yeah, oh, cool. that's awesome. Where'd you do it at? Uh, uh, what was it? The Sky Ranch there, at Dallas Sky Ranch. Yeah. All right, yeah. Th- that's awesome. Very Nothing cool. better than falling out of a perfectly good aircraft. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Marcus, fire away. Pet peeve. What's your weirdest pet peeve? Background noise when I'm trying to watch TV. It can be anything, too. It can be the washing machine. It can be... It can be... People talking. Oh, um, you know what it is for me? People talking to you. It, it's... Dude, your true personality is coming out, wizard. Actually, people talking is a pet peeve of the wizard. Jeez. My mother talks to the TV because she's really? seen the movies. I mean, she's just like, oh, what? Axe or what? They they do that now. Here. And I was like, where'd you, where'd you? No more hanging out with Grandma. <laughs> All right, wizard, All right. fire away. Give us one thing about being a firefighter that no one outside the job would know about that really sucks. Or it's just way sexier than it looks. I'll give you an example from the teams, like uh, doing doing Marops and riding the Zodiacs, and it looks really really sexy going in on a mission in the dark and all this, but it actually really just hurts your back and it gives you monkey ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we do a lot of babysitting in a fire department, you know, um, and I mean that's what we're there to serve the public, but we do a lot of babysitting water leaks and. Stuck elevators and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's not uh-huh. the glamour. You're walking up, you know, 20, 30 flights to get somebody stuck out of an elevator uh, that's got 30 people in it, and it's probably supposed to have 15. But, I mean, uh-huh. the glamour's not there every day. You know, it's not all uh, it's not all cameras and, uh, you know, especially working in a ghetto areas uh, and all glory. Mm. Uh, but that's what we do. Yeah. i tell you what, when I, when I did my uh, – uh, paramedic training when I was going through 18 Delta, it was back in, uh, 97 and we were up in New York city. And, uh, you know, the first time I was riding around, uh, and working out of the firehouses and calling things with the paramedics, man, I got a whole new dose of, of, of the totality of what your job looks like. And then it was a whole nother level of respect for you guys, mm. for sure. And a lot of t- a lot of time, those elevators they're filled with uh, urine. They think they're bathrooms too. So, oh, <laughs> so nasty! Oh, that's lovely. And the stairwells too. Oh, those were my oh, favorite. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> all right, all right. If you could travel forward in history and spend a day chatting and hanging out, have a couple beers and a barbecue with someone, who would it be and when? Probably, uh, hopefully, my uh, my grandchildren. That would be that would be just awesome to see. You know who they are. You know, um, I, I'd love to be able to do that. You know, that's a great mm-hmm. answer. 
That's awesome. I don't worry, brother. We're all going to be around long enough to see that happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Marcus. All right. There we go. Without using the word orange, describe an orange. (laughs) What the hell? Juicy, round, plump. That's one of <laughs> Let's keep it PG around here. <laughs> common, inter- common firefighter interview questions. Is it common? You, you, Are you found serious? that on a website that said common firefighter yeah, interview so when they, questions? When, they, when they're going through their interview process, like part of it, they, they, do, they do the obscure part just to see what they'll do. Yeah. And it has two right here. It says you have more that, options? That Ask one. him another one. You, another yeah. one. A paperclip is placed in front of the candidate. The candidate is asked to give as many uses for the paperclip as they can think of. Right. No. And then the other one is to describe, describe an orange. No, we're not using the word orange. Describe oh, an orange. Oh, my God. You got it, though, bro. You went the right yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's, that's what that many years in the department will do for you. Right. All right, wizard, fire away. Right. If you were standing at the airport at this very moment and an airline walked up to hand you a free travel voucher to anywhere on the planet, you could go with one other person, but you had to leave immediately. Where would you go and why? Australia. Just someplace I always wanted to travel. It would be uh-huh. with my bride, uh, Jill, uh, uh-huh. just to uh, to see that beautiful country. And one day I hope to get there. Yeah, Australia is a cool place, man. Mm. I haven't seen it myself. Oh, it's awesome. We, we we went there. My first platoon. We went over. We were doing the counter nuclear stuff, um, prep for their the Olympics. And uh, man, that place, we got to go to the, like the only jungles they had. We got to go to the coast. We got, I mean, it was, that hmm. place is really cool. Yeah. You'll love it, Jeff, when you get there, bud. Oh, it's going to happen. <laughs> All right, Marcus, last question. Fire away. All right. What's the last thing you did? You were glad no one was looking. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> Probably too many beers one night. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, that, that's perfect because there's. I have the no telling what happens. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not an accident then, right? No, no, no. <laughs> well, if no. there's if there's two of you, it's an accident. If there's five of you, you're cleared hot. I'm cleared right? hot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. That was the mad. What do we have? Nine minutes on that one. Uh, that one was six minutes and fifty-seven. Six seconds. Six minutes, fifty-seven I don't seconds. Know. I, I just awesome. make that up every time. I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> But the reason why people come to this show is not for our funny questions and clever banter, although we like to believe it is. We, 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 people are here because they want to hear the incredible stories from our guests so in the hopes that they're going to find some gem, some, some hidden piece of wisdom that can ignite the fire in their gut to get out there and get back in the fight. So, Mr. Cool, would you please... Share with our listeners your greatest never quit story or stories. Well, my story actually involves involves uh, you know a couple of men. Um, we'll get it back up to January twenty third, two thousand and five. Um, we had a nor'easter coming into New York City. We had a foot of snow on the ground. Wind was blowing in excess of forty five miles an hour, and we had a fire early in the morning, uh, just before the eight o'clock hour, uh, that was transmitted. Uh, it was the third floor of a four-story uh, uh, multiple dwelling. Um, it's an apartment building, three apartments per floor. And uh, I worked at a rescue company. I worked in a special operations command. There's five rescues for the city of New York, one for each borough. 
Mm-hmm. And we respond anytime there's a fire in that borough, confined space, high angle, dive rescue, um, building collapse. Uh, we do it all, you know. Um, and we responded to this fire. It sounded like a normal fire, if there is a normal fire, which there's not. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. you know, I mean, there's, there's one thing that we say in the fire service. You know, we read all these books. We go to all these schools. And, you know, we try to understand fire. But, you know, who doesn't read those books? Fire, fire. read those books. <laughs> That's so awesome. So, uh, and the temperature was in the teens. And uh, so, you know, we get there. We report it to the chief. And I'm on the inside team. Uh, we split up in teams. I'm on the inside team with uh, uh, Joseph DiBernardo and my captain, Chris King. And uh, he want, the chief wants the roof team to the roof. And, uh, and he wants us to the top floor. Fire's on the third floor. Um, it looked like, uh, you know, this type of fire we would have been done with in about a half hour. Um, mm-hmm. But there was uh, circumstances that we didn't see in front of us. Uh, so the line is stretched and in the building, we pass and we go up the stair. I don't even, I don't even have my thesis piece on yet. Pass and go up. There's a uh, uh, ladder company on the top floor ready, which is 27 truck. Um, we're the gentleman rescue. We're not pushing in over top of this company. And uh, they're doing a search up there. We're assisting in a search. Uh, moderate smoke condition, um, moderate to medium smoke condition, no fire. They end up losing water on the, uh, on the third floor, on the fire floor. And uh, the line had to be backed down off the top floor. Hmm. So there's a report of a person missing on a top floor. And we continue to press on without the protection of a hand line, trying to locate this person or persons. And, you know, we're not really locating anything. Um, there was a frozen hydrant out front that, you know, they lost the pressure. We're up there without a line. Another monkey wrench that got thrown in. There was a lot of monkey wrenches that day was that this was an illegally subdivided apartment building. Um, so you go into these fires and they're amazed to begin with. You know, you try to, you know, feel your, your eyes or your hands and, you know, mm-hmm. you try to locate everything. Well, they took this apartment and compartmentalized it into individual apartments, which is illegal, um, padlocks and, and basically a ha- hamster habit trail. Wow. So, uh, and, um, they threw up, I mean, it was after the fact they threw up an illegal, uh, partition. So that partition on the, uh, fire floor, they did it. And on the floor above it hindered, uh, and hid the, uh, the fire. So, where the guys thought they were actually hitting fire, the wall, di- the wall didn't run floor to ceiling. It, it, uh, it actually was about 10 inches shy of the ceiling. So they got mm-hmm. fire pushing over top of the ceiling, and they think that they're hitting it, but they're not. They're actually hitting a wall, and it lights out down there. Mm. And the fire continued to burn up, and it burned up and it crossed, and it ended up trapping um, four firefighters, actually five firefighters on the top floor. And... Uh, um, we were pushed into separate rooms, uh, all in the same apartment. Um, my partner, uh, Joey DiBernardo was, uh, trapped to the left of me. I was trapped in bedroom two with, uh, three guys from 27 truck, Eugene Stolowski, uh, Brendan Cawley and Lieutenant Curtis Myron. Um, and you guys still have no water on your floor at this point. Is that right? No, there's no water. There's no water. Actually the fire, um, it ended up burning up and across and blew back down on us. And uh, I'm sorry. It, it kind of, what, how, what floor are you on? How, how are you? We're, guys? we're on the top floor. 
if you're looking at the rear of the building, it's a four-story building, so about 10 foot per floor. Okay. Um, but and, uh, but on the, the rear of the building, it has a below-grade entrance, so it's actually uh, five stories. Oh. Okay. So we're 50 feet up, um, and uh, fire has pushed us in this room, and uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trapped. And mayday after mayday message is being transmitted over the radio, you know, telling our brothers to, that we need help. Um, it, it became a controlled, chaotic atmosphere. Um, I guess, uh, you know, compare it to being in a firefight that, um, you know, I mean, we had fire at our tail. And, you know, it, it's you control that, you know, your breathing, your, your uh, reaction time and everything. But it is chaos mm -hmm. still. Um, and um, three guys got, um, that were trapped in there with me, um, the fire started filling up in a room. And, uh, you know, it was time to go. Um, guys were from above were trying to uh, um, lower a rope to us. Um, but unfortunately, time was running out, and fire makes you do crazy things. Um, you look back to the World Trade Center, and, you know, people question. Yeah. How did they jump from that building? And why would mm. they jump? Um, burning is not an option for people. It makes you do crazy things. And anyway, um, they're calling for a rope. Time is running out. Fire is filling up the room. And uh, these three guys, uh, one was a probie, Brendan Cawley. This is his first fire. And his brother, Michael, was killed on 9-11. And uh, he, uh, that this is his first yeah, fire? His first fire. And uh, so Lieutenant Myron shows him how that they're going to hang out the window. Now, they can't get an aerial to the rear of this building. It's an alleyway. Um, there's no way to get back there to us. Our longest portable ladder is 35 feet. It's not going to reach us. The only option is that is that rope coming off the roof. And they're setting up that evolution. I mean, the brothers are trying diligently to get us. But uh, unfortunately, you know, time is running out. So Lieutenant what is, what is the time? The what is the timeline? I'm sorry to interrupt, but what is the timeline on this? How long have you been in this room? How fast is the fire moving to give people an All idea? Right, so of the, the... From time that we got up on a fire floor to the time that we were actually egressing the building, I would say less than eight minutes. I'd have to look back on the uh, uh, the transcripts, you know. Um, but I live it pretty well in my mind, unfortunately, because mm. um, it kind of stands still there. And... Uh, so the so Lieutenant Myron actually hangs out the window. He hangs by his fingertips and drops 10 feet, or uh, 10 feet, 50 feet to the ground below. Jesus. Um, unfortunately, Lieutenant Myron was killed in, uh, wow. killed in a line of duty that day. Wow. Uh, so uh, next up is Firefighter Cawley, uh, the probie, and he goes out the window and... Gene Stolowski, my good friend, is there talking to him, and uh, he's telling him he's got to go, and next thing you know, he's down to the ground. Um, there's a firefighter that's standing in the back of the building. Actually, he's a lieutenant, and uh, he is, uh, he's radioing in, you know, that we got guys jumping from the back of the building. And uh, next thing up is uh, Gene Stolowski. Next person up is Gene Stolowski, and he goes out the window, and I'm on a window air conditioning unit now. Five stories up, portable window, window air conditioning unit. Fire's blown out over my head. And uh, I see Gene to, to my right, oh, and I don't remember each of these guys vividly in my eyes falling, but he goes out that window, 
and he hangs upside down. His uh, his mask got hooked on the uh, on the uh, child guard gate, and he's hanging upside down. And a couple seconds later, it lets go, and down to the ground he goes. Mm. Now it's now it's my turn, and I'm on this window air conditioning unit, and Joey DiBenardo's trapped to my left in a separate separate room, same apartment. I'm on this air conditioning unit. I'm praying. Dear Lord, please don't let me die here. You know, I want to see my wife and kids. And I said, Joey, you know, Joey's my partner. You know, he's my brother. And uh, I said, Joey, I got a rope. I know where to tie it to. He said, throw me the rope. I argued quickly with him. He said, uh, Jeff, you got a wife and kids. You go first. So quickly, wow. I threw one end of the rope to him. He wrapped it around his arm. Uh, it's an unsanctioned method. Uh, stood on one end of it. I wrapped it around myself in a belay fashion, um, squeezed tightly to the rope, um, like I've trained hundreds of times to do. It kind of rolled off the air conditioning unit. Um, speculation as to what happened next, but I believe I pendulumed. I came back into the to the window right under Joey. I smacked into the wall. I got the wind knocked out of me. My hands opened up, and down to the ground I went. I shaved about 10 to 15 feet off my fall, and I fell about 35 miles an hour into concrete. Oh, um, there was yeah, a foot wow. of snow that day, but the wind was blowing, and there was no snow in the back, and there was a lot of, uh, lot of garbage. Joey uses the same rope, clips onto a child guard gate, uh, gets down about 12 to 15 feet, loses control of the rope, and down to the ground he goes. Now, all these guys fell at an additional 10 feet more than I did. I, I landed at the top of the landing. Um, so an inch more, I would have been another 10 feet down. Um, now, there was another firefighter up there that was a friend of mine, uh, firefighter John Ballou. He was the chauffeur a 27 truck. He jumped from one of the windows up there. I'm still not too sure which window he went out, but he was killed that day also. Wow. Um, four of us, you know, we all had catastrophic injuries, and I'm not downplaying one injuries over uh, the others, but, you know, two of our brothers were killed that day, and nothing's going to bring them back. Um, by the grace of God, you know, I survived those injuries, and I just consider myself a lucky man. I'll go through my injuries real quick because I know we're pressed for time. I could tell, tell you guys this story all day long is that uh, when I hit the ground, um, I basically broke, uh, both my shoulders in multiple places. I broke, uh, L2 to L5 in my back, my cranium in two places. Wow. Um, uh, I shattered my pelvis in multiple places. Um, uh, broke all my ribs. Uh, but when I shattered my pelvis, um, I had, uh, I severed my femoral arteries. Um, I had abdominal compartment syndrome, a flail chest. Um, oh wow! Jesus. Good work, right? Yeah, yeah. I was I was wow. bleeding. I was bleeding. Uh, I was bleeding out like a stuck pig. Um, fortunately for myself and the other brothers back there, that uh, one of our firefighters in Squad Forty One was a former paramedic with FDNY, and he started the uh, um, the triage right away back there. Uh, we had some great uh, EMTs, paramedics, firefighters doctors, nurses, technicians that tended to us. And, uh, you know, we were transported uh, to St. Barnabas Hospital. 
I spent 38 days. Uh, uh, I was on a ventilator. I was in a fight for my life. Uh, it was touch and go for a long time. My wife said, uh, I just got to reiterate, uh, you know, how, what a strong woman my wife was through this whole ordeal. Please. She found out about this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I married into an NYPD family, and we always had uh, a lot of fun, my father-in-law and I. He was a lieutenant, worked in uh, Harlem back in the day, uh, wow. tough precinct. And, uh, you know, he used to break my chops, you know, you know, uh, oh, you find me, you do nothing, blah, blah, blah. I said, Hey John, you had a couple, you had a couple uh, lucky Saturdays. You became a boss, you know, and, uh, yeah. and we had a lot of fun, you know, and, right. uh, you know, we, we wear the same, we wear the same blue, you know? Um, Amen. but anyway, my, uh, my wife gets to the hospital, you know, she gets my boys. She didn't cry or anything in front of my boys, my, you know, the state police and the local police and NYPD, they got her there. Um, she told the doctors from minute one, she goes, put them back together any way you can and I'll take them. Wow. And that's the kind of, wow. that's the kind of person that, that, nice that my deal is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, um, uh, when she first seen me, my head was, she said it was the size of a basketball. I was, you know, multiple surgeries. Um, you know, like I, uh, I was on a ventilator. Um, I was, I don't know, a day or two from being traked. I don't remember that magic number, you know, mm-hmm. uh, David, you might be more, um, familiar with that than I am. But unfortunately one of my, one of my, uh, coworkers, Gene Salaski, he had to be traked and, uh, you know, he's here, um, I fought with my doctors from day one after going through this. I was on morphine. I was on fentanyl. I was on oxycodone. Uh, my brother works in pharmaceuticals. Um, my brother said, as soon as you can, Jeff, you got to get off all this stuff. I hallucinated. Yep. I, mm. I, I, I'm a veteran, but I'm not a combat veteran. But I, I, um, I had uh, uh, I, like vivid like dreams, like coming off a plane and taking fire. Um, wow. it, it freaked me out, you know, and I, I couldn't get off this stuff fast enough, but I couldn't get off of it right then and there. Um, I fought with my doctors to get me north. Um, I live uh, near West Point Military uh, Academy, mm-hmm. uh, which is about, uh, my home is about 35, 40 miles north of New York City. And I wanted to see my boys. And uh, I fought tooth and nail to get there to this rehab hospital. I couldn't walk, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't move. I was... I was basically being held together by duct tape, you know, because um, all the intervention that they wanted to do in my body, they couldn't do because they had to, they had to take my, uh, I, I guess I should back up when they, the abdominal compartment syndrome, basically they had to cut me from my sternum to my belly button, take mm-hmm. all my internal organs and rest them outside my body. Yep. Um, and, uh, and then when all the swelling went down and I got all the bleeding stopped and I ended up taking 72 units of blood. Um, wow. right. The normal, the normal human Jesus. being holds what eight to 12, yep. depending on, uh, uh, body size. And I bled out over and over and over. Um, but, uh, wow. you know, go, going through this whole ordeal, um, I still was fighting to get home to see, see my boys. And, and, uh, and I went to this hospital, Helen Hayes, uh, rehabilitation hospital. Basically that was in my backyard. And I went there to learn to walk and function and live again. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't move. Really, I couldn't move. And I was jaundiced from, I guess, from losing all the blood. My liver was mm-hmm. in shock. And um, I went down to, I was probably about 215. Um, you know, I'm, I was 6'2", 
215. I went down to 155, 153 pounds. I wow. looked like, uh, you know, I went, you know, concentration camp. Yep. That's one way to do it, I guess. Yeah. 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 Not the yeah, preferred well, would, way. <laughs> well, I'm not there right now, but uh, yeah, that's another story. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, uh, in this rehab hospital, these, these nurses, doctors, technicians, they worked hard with me to get me to function again. And, you know, um, basically, uh, when I tell you I was held together by duct tape, my, my left shoulder, it's still in five pieces. They couldn't do anything with it because of my abdominal compartment syndrome and my, yep. my, um, my pelvis, um, my pelvis, basically they didn't put any, um, they didn't put any metal in it. They actually put two five and a half inch titanium bolts in it and, uh, put an external fixator on it. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you look oh, at my Marcus, let me tell you what I'm telling you this. I remember laying in a hospital and I, and I watched, you know, you and your teammates through operation red wings and I, and you, you motivated me to get up and go. Uh, you know, I said to you when I met you years ago, I said, you know, I've been waiting to meet you and, and you probably, we didn't have a lot of time, but to see your never quit attitude motivated me. And, mm. but, um, you know, well, I appreciate it, brother. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, when we talk about each other, everybody stands off to the side and points out the other ones, how much better they are. But look, man, when I was in the hospital laid up, I was watching movies on you guys. <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> It is. It's, it's, and it all goes back to that we talk about. It's all family, man. We're just a family here in this country from the from the family top, of top service. Down, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. One side of us carry the rifle. One of us all protect what we care about. Absolutely. Exactly. And and Jeff, yep. let me. I want to ask you uh, uh, to go back a little bit. Um, when you guys, when you got the call, because this is where it sounds. Like you guys experience, you, you know, the igniter of your never quit mentality all the time. You get a call, it comes in, you know it's a fire. What goes on in that truck? In your mind, in the in the mind of your company, what are you guys thinking about as you're driving to a fire? Well, anytime, me personally, and I, I think a lot of the brothers, when they hear this, when, you know, the New York City Fire Department, we use a 10 code. Uh, we're like one of the only departments that still use it. And we hear 1075, that means a work in fire. And uh, there's an adrenaline rush when you get that, you know, or, you know, you hear there's, there's a job. That's what we call it. It's a job. And, that, and that's what we go to work for. You know, it's kind of. It's kind of weird for a civilian, but I think you guys understand that. I mean, that's what yeah, you train to do. You know, it's uh, you want to be in that, you know, and uh, um, you're doing that size up. You know, you're listening to the radio. What you know, what kind of building? And um, you know, you know, where's the fire? It's on the third floor. All right, is it in the front or is it in the rear? Do you hear any screaming going on or is it controlled? You know, is it calm? I mean, that, that's, you know, what a good fire officer do, does, uh, you know, when he's giving a size up, he's controlled. It's not screaming. And, uh, you know, so to me, it was like a normal fire, you know, I mean, backing up, I mean, we were sitting in the kitchen. We had a run right before this and, right. uh, you know, we're sitting in the kitchen and we're drinking coffee and around the, uh, the firehouse kitchen table 
And you know what we do? Mm-hmm. We break each other's balls and we solve the world's problems. I mean, some of the, <laughs> the best problem solvers in, 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 in the world are right there in the fire department kitchen, you know? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. And uh, so, you know, I mean, I didn't really, you know, I, I, I do uh, talks across the country and um, with, this, with this fire. And I do it spread the message that it can happen to you because, you know, I never thought it was bulletproof and I never thought it was Superman, even though he was my favorite hero. Um, <laughs> you know, guys do die and that's, that's fact and guys do get hurt. Um, but this looked like a run of the mill fire, but unfortunately there's not a run of the mill fire. And, you know, there was a loss of water pressure. There was frozen hydrants. There was an illegally subdivided apartment building and stuff went to shit real quick. And, you know, that's, that's factual. And, you know, when I go out and talk and I say, it, you know, it can't happen to me, that's sarcasm. Because it can and it will happen and it continues to happen. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, Murphy is always present in any, in any situation where it's life and death. Murphy seems to always rear his, his ugly head there. And, and changes the, the dynamics of, of the action instantaneously. Like a pop quiz. Like a pop yeah. quiz, right? Yeah. On your skill set. All right, the next question I have for you, and this is the one where it really becomes, you know, that, that primal sense of survival that if I don't do this, I'm dead either way. And that's when you were in the room and the fire started penetrating the room and you had no other choice, but you had to get out and ultimately had to jump. Can you just talk the listeners through making a decision like that? Okay, well, I just got to back up a little bit because I didn't jump. I mean, unfortunately, three firefighters had to jump. Actually, four firefighters had to jump. But Joey and I, we had the rope, which we all right. should have had. And, you know, that is a tool that actually is implemented back into the New York City Fire Department, um, you know, being reactive. I mean, they took them away in 1999 for whatever reason. Um, and then they spent $16.5 million to uh, put a system in place. And now fire departments across North America are starting to carry these things. So, I mean, they seem like our, if our fire left something positive um, on the fire mm-hmm. service, which it did, you know, it was those ropes. But, you know, when I had to go, I mean, that was a tool that I trained with over and over. And, you know, I worked with some of the best guys in the business. You know, I worked in a rescue company. I worked in a busy truck company before that. And, uh, you know, in the words of my, my partner, uh, Joey DiBernardo, is that are you on the job or are you into the job? Because everybody says, hey, I'm on the job. I'm on the job. But are you into the job? So you got to train like your life depends on it. So I trained, I trained that way, you know, um, and, you know, I knew I had to go. I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. It's kind of like jumping out of an airplane. You know, you, you say a quick prayer um, and, uh, and you go. And you have, uh, you have faith in your equipment. Unfortunately, our equipment was kind of like married together because it was something I had to buy to, you know, to, uh, for my fail safe. I mean, those ropes, again, they're like, it's like a fighter pilot sitting on top of a multi-million dollar aircraft. He sits on, that, on, a, on, a, on an egress seat. He's not wanting to blow out, but if he has to blow out, that's what that, that's what that mm-hmm. seat's there for, you know, and that's what that rope was there for. And, you know, thank God I had a guy like Joey DiBernardo next to me that, 
you know, Joey had some, you know, he had some big balls. He was one of the best in the business. And, uh, you know, he saved my life that day. Um, I hope I didn't rattle when it, when I explained that, you know, and no, uh, no, uh, you did. And if, if you could, can you tell us about Joey? Can you tell us what kind of man he was? Can you tell us what kind of partner he was? And, and just, can you just give us the listeners to paint it, put a face to that name? Well, because when, when your son wrote in, he talked about how you guys really leaned, he says that, uh, Y'all leaned on each other pretty hard getting through the recovery. And, yep. and then if you go on with his story. Yeah. So, so Joe, you know, all of us, we had, you know, catastrophic injuries, the ones that survived myself, Joey DiBonato, Eugene Stolowski and Brendan Cawley. But Joey and I, we worked in the same company. His dad actually was uh, one of my deputy chiefs. And uh, um, anyway, you know, Joey lived out on Long Island. He lived all the way out on the end of Long Island. So talk it. Which is about driving time, two and a half hours uh, from me. You know, I mean, you know, we know Texas mm-hmm. is big, but New York's pretty big too, especially with traffic. <laughs> and uh, we, would, we would talk, we would talk on the phone all the time, and we had our struggles. Um, you know, but look, let me let me back up and who Joey was before before our injuries. Joey was Joey was always a guy that was training. You know, uh, we come in, Joe. You know, I, I, maybe I'm watching a ball game or watching the New York Rangers uh, play uh, on, on TV. And Joey's like, hey, let's do a drill. And I'm like, a, a little bit. He's like, again, are you on the job or are you into the job? All right, so we get up and we would do something. But we wouldn't just train on any evolution. We train outside. We train on the evolution and then train on outside the box. If, you know, you know, um, mm-hmm. If we had to divert from A to B, you know, or A to B to C, you know, how to do it. I mean, and that's being at that window the, the day, you know, um, we didn't yeah. have the tools that we needed. So we, we diverted, you know, and that's what you do. Read and react. And uh, Joey was just awesome doing that. Um, you know, I look at Joey, I smile, you know, thinking about him. Um, he was uh, he was a ladies man. You know, he was a typical, you know, stereotype, you know, like, uh Hey, Joey DiBernardo, you know, hey, how you doing? How you doing? You know, it's like, I'm like, how you doing, brother? Joey you know? D. Yeah, like, I, yeah, Joey D from Rescue 3. Joey D, I love you, brother. You know, that's yours. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, so Joey, you know, Joey anchored me that day. And Joey, you know, Joey's, uh, he's in my heart and soul every day, you know. Um, and we would talk and, you know, we would struggle, you know, through our injuries, learning how to walk again. Joey broke all the bones in his feet and he was in a lot of pain. We were both in a lot of pain. We were all in a lot of pain. But yeah. Joey, Joey had a hard time and I had a hard time. And, you know, um, I, finally I reached out uh, to the mental health world and, you know, I'm not afraid to say it. You know, I said, hey, listen, I need help, man. I was, I was a miserable son of a bitch, you know, and I was nasty yeah. to my family my kids, my wife, um, I was bitter that my career was over. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I found somebody I could talk to. Um, the funny thing is I'm, I'm, I'm a huge conservative mm. and the guy that I spoke to, I went through a lot of people before I found one. He's a diehard liberal. And uh, let me tell you what, this guy, uh, he helped me so much. His name's, we'll just say Dr. Steve. And, uh, mm-hmm. he helped me so much to, to see, you know, something that I was missing and deal with life and that, and, and the good Lord, you know, the good Lord came into my life and, and it helped me. And, you know, I had faith, you know, and, um, 
And I tried, you know, with Joey to, you know, to do this. And I said, Joey, you know, we're not going to be in Rescue 3 anymore, but we could still leave a mark on the fire service. There's plenty to offer and plenty to do. You know, I was blessed to have a family, you know, two boys and, um, and the support. And not that Joey didn't have his mom and dad and his sister, but uh, Joey had a lot of pain. And uh, uh, unfortunately, Joey, uh, you know, he uh, both psychologically and uh, um, physically, he had to take medicine. And uh, mm. he, uh, he went into uh, a drug-induced uh, coma. Mm-hmm. On uh, the night of, I guess, November 21st, 2011. And he was found the morning of November 22nd, 2011. And uh, we're sorry for your loss, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. Thank much. yeah sorry, but we, that, we've, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, I appreciate it. I really do. We, we, we've all lost a yeah. bunch of friends in the same capacity. And, um, too many, huh? That, way too many. And, and that pain is something that, unless you've been through it, unless you know that brother that was there for you in all the times and, and would have gone and would save lives and save your life and save the lives of your brothers around you, and, and when you lose them, man, that's the hardest there is in the world. So yeah. we're, we're sorry. Well, I if, appreciate if, that. If you could, Jeff, could you tell us then about coming through? And regaining, and then what Dr. Steve helped you realize. Yeah, yeah, I want to hear that. And, and tell us what was that thing that helped you turn the corner? Well, I guess with Dr. Steve, you know, I mean, we, we always hit us. Actually, my, my, uh, my pastor says it all the time. It's, it's okay not to be okay. We just don't want you to yes. stay there. We don't want you to stay there, you know. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, and I, and I guess unfortunately, um, one of my buddies, John Walters, he's retired out of uh, Rescue One in Manhattan uh, Rescue Company. He lost his leg in 2006. Uh, he got hit by a taxi cab, him and another firefighter, Mike Shunk. And uh, behind the rescue, we had these big box rescues, and uh, he lost his leg. And I uh, had another buddy, uh, Rescue Two Fireman, got burned up in a fire real bad. And, uh, you know, we lean on one another. And Johnny always called Johnny Walters, he calls us the Land of Misfit Toys. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and you know what? He's right. You know, people probably look at us like we're screwed up when we say that, you know, uh, but we lean on one another and we help each other to uh, overcome that. You know, we're, we're, throw, we're dealt that hard card or whatever. Um, but you know what? That's a card that I, you know, I wear proudly, you know, I have a lot of scars on my body and, uh, you know, I earned those scars and, you know, I, I'm proud to mm. say who I am. You know, my, I think my wife gets tired sometimes hear me, you know, tell, you know, tell the story, but I, I want people to know not about me, but you know, like my brothers, my brothers that were there that day and what they did, you know, um, um, you know, and then, uh, to getting back, you know, where, where, where I am and cu- overcoming everything, you know, well, one thing they yep. told me I'll never run again. I was going to run the New York city marathon in, in, uh, in 2005. And, uh, Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I can't run anymore because of uh, I have a, a huge pelvic tilt. You know, my 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 pelvis is cockeyed, and I I deal with pain every day. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, I went to a holistic uh, approach, did acupuncture, uh, cranial sacral therapy, uh, recce. Um, you know, I, I did it all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the mental health, um, and I lived through nine eleven. You know, um, I spent 
spent a lot of time down there at the Trade Center, a whole lot of time. Wow. I lost 33 friends on 9-11. Uh, I'm still losing friends. You know, um, I yeah. have uh, some, some health issues from that. And a couple of years back, um, I don't know what went wrong with me, but I started dropping weight again. Um, I couldn't breathe. Uh, I'd walk out in the cold air or I'd throw up uh, fluid. Um, and I, I thought I was dying. I mean, it, it was getting real bad. And uh, I just started praying. I, I read the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, first time ever. Uh, I'm 51 now. And, uh, you know, dear Lord, help me so much to get through. Um, you know, I said, save my life. Please, God, save my life, and, and I'll be a better man, and I'll pay it forward. And, uh, you know, it was a combination of things, you know. And I, I tell, you know, I rattle a lot, man, but there's there's a whole bunch that saved me. But number one is is God. Number two Amen. is my family. Uh, number three is, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Steve and my, my friends and families and brothers that surrounded me. I mean, listen, my wife could have walked out of me years ago, and it would have been no fault except my own, you know, and, uh, she stuck with me and, uh, you know, um, she said, you know, remember what she said, she goes, put them back together any, any way you can and I'll take them. Yeah. And we're coming up on our 24, 24 years, September 16th. It'll be 24 wow. years. We've been married. Congratulations. That's so awesome right yeah. there, Jeff. Listen, uh, you know, before we, we wrap it up here, what are, what are some things that, you could tell the person out there that's struggling right now that has either gone through their catastrophic injury or maybe they lost their career and a piece of their identity or, you know, you know, maybe they lost a friend. What can you tell them to help get them back in the fight, Jeff? Well, number one is, uh, you know, I, I, I think there is, there's, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard, it's hard to see that, but reach out to others, you know, lean on others. You know, I mean, listen, if I, if somebody's out there listening, I'm not afraid. I'll help anybody I can, you know, I mean, whatever I can do, it's pay it forward, you know, pick up that phone and call your friend. I mean, I've got that phone call before and I, I'm sure you guys, Hey man, you know, I'm going through a tough thing or, or you get that real one, you know, I'm ready. Um, uh, yeah. I'm ready to, to check out, you know, um, and, you know, I, I hate to say it, you know, um, I've been there and dealt that with, uh, you know, my, my friends, but there's people there to, to support you, your family, your friends, you know, uh, the mental health world, um, you know, just keep going, you know, um, you know, life is good, you know, and I, you know, right now I, you know, I've been out of a job, you know, I retired in December of 2006. I'm looking to grow old, you know, like I want to see my grandkids, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see what I could do with, you know, every day I'm looking, you know, what can I do to, you know, I'm not a fireman anymore. I say I'm a broken fireman. I'm still a brother, you know, but I'm not in a fire service anymore. I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, but there's stuff that you can do, you know, and, um, Again, you know, people can reach out to me. I'm out there and, you know, Facebook, you look for Jeff cool or, you know, um, you know, I know we want to talk about uh, the Joey D Foundation. Yeah, and, if you and, could, you know, just pay, pay it right forward. It. You know, I mean, you know, one one of my buddies and and one of your you know your former teammates, Ryan Parrott, he taught me so much. And Ryan and I only been friends for a couple of years, but he taught me so much about paying it forward. You know, and uh, and that, and that's that's who I am. I just want to pay it forward. You know, I I can't fight fires anymore, but I I can help people. 
So stuff I do now, I mean, I, I speak on behalf of New York Blood Center, you know, and I tell people the importance of giving blood. I've met 12 of my 72 donors. Um, wow. Every race, every race color of green was represented out of those 12 uh, donors, and it, it's just awesome. Um, I've, uh, I jumped out of an airplane uh, last, uh, I don't know, last year, September, I believe it was, with the Bird's Eye View Project, uh, nice. which is ex- which is extreme, extreme sports, um, uh, to raise awareness, uh, to raise money for our veterans and first responders. We raised like $400,000, you know, uh, which wow, is just awesome. You know, I mean, I fell, like I said, like 40 feet, but I jumped 14,000 feet. So I overcame that. Um, <laughs> there you, you know, go. <laughs> you know, um, and then, and, and then the last but not least, you know, I mean, Joey D. Bonato, Joey D. Um, he's my brother. He's my brother forever. I actually had that inked on my arm. He lives in my heart and soul. I mean, and uh, we started a foundation. Um, actually, his dad is the uh, chairman of the board. It's called the Joey D Foundation. You can go to joeydfoundation.org and check us out. And we provide grants to fire departments across North America that can't afford uh, uh, the uh, uh, bailout ropes, bailout systems. We not only provide the systems, but we, we fund uh, the training that goes with them. Because just having one is not going to save your life. You're going to need the training that goes with them. And mm-hmm. um, we're not just taking care of the, the good old U.S. here. We're taking care of firefighters across North America. Uh, we wow. run training seminars every year, um, staying you know into the job. We bring the, the best in the business, um, and we run this every year. Um, actually, November 3rd and 4th, uh, we're running out in uh, – um, to talk it uh, out on Long Island again. We have firefighters across the country that come in uh, to this uh, this training event. Um, it's great networking, you know. We we uh, we're just out there to help the brothers, you know, and um, that that's who we are. Well, that's absolutely incredible, Jeff. Yeah, that's um, a good cause. Every everything that you, you've talked about, obviously, is is near and dear to to our hearts and I think you know us and the SEAL teams especially in the early years have a, a real strong connection to y'all uh, I know Marcus's crew used to wear the uh, New York fire department patches I know my 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 platoon over there we wore them too I know a lot of other guys have been wearing them ever since and uh, you know we we just can't thank you enough for you know, what you guys do and setting the standard that, that translates itself all the way across this country and just the, the patriotism and the service that you guys have and you in particular, Jeff, and what you've done in your life. So, you know, sir, thank you so much for being on the T&Q podcast. Well, I, I want to say thank Absolutely. you uh, to you and your teammates because, as Marcus said, you know, about that patch, you know, um, you know, it was, we're passing the flag, FDNY passing it, you know, to our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines, and our Navy SEALs, we won't forget, you know, because you guys, you know, when we were hurting, we knew you guys were over there, you know, um, getting some for us, and we we really appreciate that. We really do. Every and, day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every day. That was personal, right? I, yeah, I mean, you being a firefighter, that's one thing. You being a New York City firefighter is completely different in our eyes. I mean, I, I'd never been up in the city before and never visited until I had to go up there for Murph to yep. say my goodbyes to him. And then by happenstance, I got picked up for, the, I mean, the publishing house. and All my people who watch out for me are in New York now. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it's crazy. When I leave here, that's my that's my other family now. I take my yep. family there for Christmas, just getting yep. into the spirit. Before I was married, I used to tour around and stay at the firehouses instead of those high-end hotels that they wanted me to, to stay in. And <laughs> it, 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 it is, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it always yeah. better in the firehouse. <laughs> The look on some of the guys' faces when they come in and I was sleeping in their rack was priceless. I'm like, ah, sorry. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah, but it's, and to the other point, being a firefighter in New York City and then being hurt, it's when you're put in a situation when the, when the people that you swore to protect save your life, I mean, we, don't, we don't ask for that. Really, we do the job because it's cool, right? We're like buddies and it's just <laughs> one of them deals. It's, it's a calling more than a job. And you don't ask ask for any of that, man. But when they go out of their way to save your life, they're trying to keep you back online, basically re-giving you the gift of the dream that you had to get your ass there in the first place. Is the way I looked at it. I mean, I'm a, I, you know, both you and I have been in hell. You know what that looks like. You know what it feels and smells like. So when everyone's dying, everything's on fire. That's what what it is, man. And when everybody stops what they're doing to come help you, it, man, it, it lends a perspective that you could, you can't see by any other occasion at all and man you stepping back up and giving back we protect our own watch out for our own and that's just the way it is family i mean just because you retired off the line and can't take that away from you because it's what you are you're in great i mean our generation the what we've had to go through it's all forged in fire no pun intended but that's the truth man and you well, we'll always watch out for our, for each other. It's it's a unique thing about our our generation. So keep doing what you're doing, man. And I uh, can't get away to get face to face you again. Thank you so much for coming out and doing this. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You know, um, honored and blessed. And uh, you know, thanks again. Thank you, Jeff. Goodbye, and and God bless you and your family. And we we hope your son Absolutely. picks the right one, which is the U.S. Navy and SEAL training. <laughs> I would be proud on it. I really would. Awesome. Take care, Jeff. God bless you. Thanks All, right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I mean, my God, Marcus, one, you know, running into that fire alone, and then two, making that choice. Am I going to burn to death or am I getting out of this? I mean, I I just, what what kept going through my mind is laying there in that kind of pain and looking around at his other brothers that are sitting there next to him, you know? I mean, my God. When when you're in there in a situation that just everything's falling apart and you got your boys with you, even if everybody's busted up, there's you still that the part about not living doesn't register yet because there's think there's nothing we can't get through. Right. And even when the oh moments come in, but once those guys start going away and you and you ultimately left by yourself, if if you if you grow up like we do in that team environment, man, it's just tough. It's the situations that that are presenting themselves that. I don't, know, I don't know if you can get prepared for that. Even I don't during, think you can either. You know I mean? huh? It's just, yeah. uh, it's. Well, did anything you final, go through ever prepare test. you for it? I mean, I don't think it's in our training. No. Uh, yeah. The physical parts and what was going on, uh, it was existential. Yeah. That stuff's easy. We train through that, that right. physical part of being broken and busted up. <laughs> but while we're training for it, we're going and we're getting busted up with our buddies. Yeah. When they go away, and it's that's bad. Yeah. 
that that and and I think he was he did a really amazing job to to walk through Joey D's process and un, his unfortunate untimely demise you know and I and I think it's critical for our listeners to realize and hear and heed what Jeff had said and and that man when you're in that spot you got to reach out you got to create that network of people that you can lean on and you would talk about just even if it's like you're not calling to talk about it specifically it's just like hey man what's going on yeah, you know? three in the morning, right? three in the morning. Hey, dude, how you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no absolutely that's the most important thing we can do is just keep in touch with each other i mean if you're in a situation and and things are falling apart and you got your boys around you then when you lean on them you i mean they they seem like oh man everything's going well it's probably because they're leaning back on you and it's just that it's meeting in the middle right and it solves itself and uh if it all falls apart and everything goes away, man, just be brave. Amen. That's great advice. Now, it, thank you for tuning into this show. Uh, if this is your first time listening, thank you so much. Uh, what a pleasure. Uh, if if you're coming back for more, again, once again, you have heard something incredible. And, and also what makes this show so amazing in my mind is that this was a listener write-in show. I mean, we talk about it all the time, right, Marcus? We talk about it if you, when you write in and contribute to our page where you can tell your greatest never quit story. And if it's a doozy, we're going to read it. And if it's great, coming on. they're coming on, just like Jeff did now. And how about the fact that, mean, that his boy that was, wrote that, that in, right? Amazing story. That ranks just right up there with every other... <laughs> Every I mean, other one we've had. Right. Now we just need to catch your fame up with your story, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? Well, and, and that's what I love about this 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 team what we're creating, this community, you know, this never quit community. And Wizard, you we talk about it all the time and the fact that, you know, man, I mean, it just goes to show that doesn't matter where you're from or what you're involved in, everybody's got the potential to experience that never quit moment. That can help other people. Yeah, I mean, we're all linked in our humanity. So everything on top of that just turns out to be details and color, and it makes the story a little more interesting. But down down deep, we have the same currents, the same lessons, and the same stories, you know, kind of time and time again, which just serves to reinforce the the lessons, you know, that, that we have come out every week. So That's a perfect way to say that. I mean, if somebody who's – the world catches on, the house catches on fire, and they're going through this never quit moment. And they come out, and then here comes the crew to put the fire out. Who just from the never quit story that that guy created, he just created another one for them. And so, I mean, and then when those guys go to the hospital, it's it's Life's all full of them. Yeah, it's linked, right? Yeah, it totally is. And yeah. and hopefully, what I love most about great never quit stories, and I think what what really resonates with our listeners and our continued growth, and that's why we're seeing the success we're seeing. Is because, you know, from a never quit story, you know, legends are born, right? Great stories, Great stories ignite, ignite, legends. ignite legends. And and the next person who in their moment can, just like he did with you, Marcus, in that moment, he said, as he was going through his recovery, he was thinking about you and, and all of our teammates. And I mean, that was powerful. And that's the way it worked. And that's why we're doing it. So, Let's read another one of those great write, listener write-ins. Let's now, do it. All right. This is from Robert. Marcus Rutt Wizard. 
I want to drop you guys a line to share my story. First off, I'm just a normal guy. I'm not a hero or a soldier or an athlete. However, I have had the privilege of keeping company with some, with some really amazing men and women and to have had some truly awesome adventures. If I die tomorrow, I have had one hell of a life. For that, I am forever thankful. My never quit story starts the day I was born with a club foot. There were immediate expectations that I would never be normal nor have the same opportunities as, as other people. I was also born into a very troubled relationship. And when I was just eight months old, my father shot my mother to death in a motel room in South Florida. As a result, he spent several years in prison and I was adopted into another family up north. After several procedures and years of leg braces, I was able to walk normally, but I was coddled as a kid. My well-meaning mom protected me from the perceived dangers of team sports and physical activity. I grew up somewhat a mama's boy and was the fat kid throughout my childhood. As I reached my teenage years, I started lifting weights and got in better shape, though I always found running and cardio work difficult. I grew up craving adventure and wishing to help people. In 1994, I began a career in law enforcement and have completed several police academies. Running continued to prove very challenging. I was generally the last man on any run. Still, I found success. I got married to a wonderful woman. I thought I had life figured out. I didn't realize what was going on outside of myself and how my selfish desires and my hubris were affecting the people around me. What I hadn't really come to terms with was that I had been battling depression my entire life, and my depression was in control. I was suicidal throughout my adolescent and teenage years, and off and on through my 20s. Also, I was making decisions I would question for years. I was professionally restless and bounced around from agency to agency, never staying at any one place for more than four years. This afforded me great opportunities for adventure and training, but in the end, I built a house of cards for myself, and one day, someone pulled a card out. After four years as a federal air marshal post-9-11, I worked the best job I ever had with a very large and professional metropolitan police department in southern Nevada. Then, as many cops do, I divorced my wife of six years over what we deemed irreconcilable differences, but in fact was my own selfish desires. My ever-present depression darkened. Ultimately, I decided to leave the best job I'd ever had for what I thought was greener grass in a much smaller department in in the Lake Tahoe area of Northern California. I bought a house, met a girl with two wonderful kids, got married again, and was working hard in a profession I love. However, this Northern California department wanted a Northern California cop, but what they had hired, a Wild West Southern Nevada cop, and they didn't like me. On the last day of my probationary period, they let me go. While I was not fired for cause, they actually never told me exactly why they let me go, other than that I wasn't what they were looking for. Once you've been fired from law enforcement's agency, it's very difficult to find another job as a cop. Being a cop was my identity. My depression really went out of control as I lost the identity that I'd come to know and embrace for 15 years. I looked to a job as a contractor in Iraq doing security work. 
Missing my family, my friends, and my role as a cop, I felt like my life couldn't get any worse. Then after three months in Baghdad, my my wife left me. I found myself more alone than I could have ever imagined, and not all in my right mind to be doing what I was doing in a place like Baghdad. I resigned and went to rebuilding my life. Once I got my feet back on the ground in the U.S., addressing my depression, becoming my priority, I began treatment and began to really understanding my relationship with depression. After years of soul searching, finally I... Finally, I'm learning to shut up and listen to the people around me. Eventually, I got back into contract work. Then I met some really great guys in Las Vegas and helped them open a shooting range on the Las Vegas trip. Marcus got to meet some of them last year. Having worked several jobs in the private sector and having had some opportunities to make pretty good money, I found I was best suited for public service work. Eventually, I got behind another badge, this time as a probation officer. The pay isn't great, and it's often pretty thankless, but I'm helping people, and that's what it's about. My girlfriend and I recently got engaged. The third time's the charm, right? We have a great relationship together. I also have a relationship with my depression. It's no longer a struggle. I know what it is. I know what it's not. Life is all about perspective. Last year, I started training in BJJ at 46, not at the Pinnacle Athletic, not at the pinnacle of athleticism. It's challenging, but it's a journey. Some days I leave work, leave work and I just don't feel like going. That's when I know I have to go. Then I put on the Team Never Quit podcast and listen to some amazing folks remind me why I don't quit and I go to BJJ and get my ass kicked by 20-year-olds and love it. <laughs> I've had success and failures. I've had many adventures and challenges. There's an ebb and flow in all things. Through that, I live my life like I run. Running sucks. I'm not good at it. But just as I put one foot in front of the other, breathe, repeat, and don't quit, I've learned a lot from listening to this podcast. Most recently, and very important, I come to understand that there is no end. There is no golden ring. There is just the next step, the next breath, the next challenge or adventure. And how I approach each is entirely up to me. Thanks for reading. Thanks for serving this great, great nation, and thanks for sharing all these amazing, inspiring stories. Your work motivates me. Onward and upward, Rob. Well, Rob, as a man who's faced cool. depression myself for a long time, bravo Zulu on you. Man, there's nothing worse than trying to fight that faceless beast in your mind, but with a little bit of focus and some great help from outside people, we can all get the best of that insurgency. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I am so thankful for this show. This was amazing. I love the fact that our listeners feel so motivated to write in, Marcus, and share their incredible story with us. So this show, I want to thank all of you the most. Without y'all, we wouldn't be where we are. Without y'all, we wouldn't be spreading this message of never quit across the world so thank you so much. I want to thank God. I want to thank my family and friends. Uh, and I want to thank Jeff Cool for your focus and your struggle and your your commitment to helping others. But most importantly, you know, again, man, it's our listeners. And thank you, gents, for helping me do this. Absolutely. Rob, brother, thanks for writing in, man. I, I, I think it's important the more that we do this and you see the diversity of everybody uh, across the, the globe, Brighton, and that everybody has a problem kind of deal. Yeah. And um, that's how we solve it. We talk about it. 
Yep. Thank you. Amen. Out there. Send it in here, and we'll we'll talk about it. <laughs> I love it. And uh, Jeff, man, brother, you have an amazing tale. Thank you so much for doing what you do, and your boy and I. I uh, look forward to meeting you guys again. I want to send my thanks out to New York City. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. The fire department, the police department, man. I just want to send Port it authority. out to New York City. Yes. Because you guys, y'all are something, man. I do. I. I I fall in love with you guys every time I go up there because I see something new. And I try to go to the same spot every time because, you know, from the country, I get real used to things. <laughs> but it's, it's always an adventure when I get up there, man. And thank you guys so much for everything you do for the man just being the, the backbone city of this country, just taking us through. You know, you're the ones that are always taking the hits, so to speak, and uh, kind of lead by example. It's just been a damn honor to, to get up there and, and be able to be a part of it. So thank you all for everything you do. And thank you for Spider-Man. I'm out. <laughs> out.